Well, I read uh, this week about a school teacher that was having a very difficult day, a very difficult week, and it was one of those just bad hair day weeks. I don't know if you ever had one of those, uh, but she just couldn't wait for the weekend. She just couldn't wait to get out of uh, the school and stop teaching. It had been bad weather. The kids were just all wound up. They were getting frustrated. Friday came. They just wanted to go home. She just wanted to go home. It was another rainy, nasty day, so they didn't get to go outside for recess. It was just a tough day. And so finally, the teacher's looking at the clock, and she, with the kids, is sort of looking at the clock, counting down the moments, the minutes, until the bell would ring, the final bell of the week, and they could go home. And so she decided, I'm going to go ahead and let the kids get up from their desks 15 minutes early so that they can get all of their stuff prepared, and they can be out of here when that bell rings because I just want to go home. And so the kids got up. She dismissed them. They got up. They started putting their books together and their stuff together for the weekend, getting their bags here, getting their coats and gloves on because it was that season with all the nastiness outside. And as all the kids were getting ready, she noticed that one of the little guys was struggling getting his boots on. So the teacher goes over, bends down with the little guy, and he's like, teacher, I can't get my boots on. So she starts helping with the boots, and she's pulling and pulling and yanking and pushing. And it was one of those sets of boots that didn't have buckles, didn't have drawstrings, um, didn't uh, strap up or anything. They were just pull-on boots. And no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't get these boots on. Finally, the bell rings and all the kids go traipsing out and they're all excited. The day's over and here she is stuck working at trying to get these boots on of this little guy. And she struggles to the point that even other teachers are coming in, poking her head in. You okay? I'm heading out. See you later. Hope you have a good weekend. Everybody was leaving and yet she was stuck helping this little guy with his boots. Finally, after about 15, 20 minutes of struggling and fighting, she finally pops them on. She stands up with a sigh and like, finally, I get to go home and you can go home now. And so the little guy, you know, he's like, oh, okay. He stands up and he's like wobbling a little bit. And he looks down at his boots, looks back up at the teacher and says, teacher, these aren't my boots. Somebody else has my boots. You let that go just a little bit there. We all need to learn but don't like to learn patience and sometimes learning patience can really get irritating one author that i read this week said that uh, patience is one of the the premier christian virtues but most christians aren't in too much of a hurry to learn it i like that yeah we know that we should be we should be patient but we don't want to hurry up and uh, obtain that one and yet we live in this hurry up and instant society do any of you remember how you used to pop popcorn anybody remember those days you know where you had to fry the bacon to get the grease then you take the grease you put it in the pan that's good bacon okay you put it in the pan you put the popcorn in there you have to get a lid on and it takes like 15 20 minutes to pop the popcorn you have to pull it off so you don't burn it then you have to clean everything up you know it's like a half hour endeavor to do popcorn and today we get a little frustrated that we have to actually unwrap the bag out of the plastic and push a couple buttons to put three minutes on the microwave to get this bag of yummy buttery good or how about TVs? Do some of you remember the days when you had to actually turn on the TV to let it warm up before you could watch your show? Now that's dating some of us. How many of you remember that? If you wanted to watch a show at six o'clock, 
You had to be at the television at quarter till because it took 15 minutes, especially during the winter on cold days because my parents didn't heat the house. And that thing would have to warm up and finally the TV screen would come in. And nowadays I sit down in front of my big flat screen smart TV and I get frustrated because it takes 15 seconds for it to reboot and load. <laughs> you know, or, or how about internet service? Now this isn't that long ago, but how many of you remember the most evil thing that you could ever do to somebody is send them an email with a huge picture file in it. You remember those days? And you would sit there and you'd click on somebody's email like, oh, Pastor John sent me a picture. And you'd click on like, oh no. 45 minutes later, you're you know, it's like, oh, or you go onto a website and you, you know, you want to see a video and all of a sudden you click on the video and it takes like 45 minutes to load. Isn't it amazing that today we can take out our cell phone and we can pop open Facebook and we can take a high def picture more, more uh, uh, bigger and better than what you'd ever have taken years ago. And you can instantly take the picture within 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 seconds. You can post it on Facebook. Just that fa Hey, let's have some fun. You who are online, this ought to be fun. And you who are here, if you have a smartphone, get it out this morning and go to Facebook. If you're online, you're already on Facebook. So you're there and take a selfie. Don't make it rude, okay? Uh, but take a selfie like of your head and then post it that you're in church this morning watching even online. You who are here, let's just do that right here. Go ahead, take out your phone. You take your own, post it on our Facebook page. So here we go. The photos. Oh, wait, I just lost the camera. Doo -doo -doo. Sure, it only takes 10 seconds. Michelle, you're better at this than I am, aren't you? There's the camera. Here we go. We're going to take a Facebook selfie. Oh, wait. We're going to come up here. And we got to reverse the camera. There we go. Okay, everybody wave. Next. And post. There we go. Isn't that amazing? And yet, years ago, we'd have to wait. That'd take like 15 minutes to do, and then somebody else would take them like an hour to download that. In this time of COVID, we're all being forced to be patient. And I would say that, there, that, that there's different kinds of patience that we're being forced into. In the Bible, the Bible has several different words that it uses for patience. In the New Testament, in the Greek, and I can give you the words, but in the Greek New Testament, the two words for patience have two similar but different meanings. One form of the Greek word for patience is like being patient with people. Being patient with, you know, a son or a daughter that's learning something new. Being patient with a co-worker. Paul uses that form of the Greek word when he gives the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That's that form. But there's another form, another Greek word that's used in the scriptures for patience. And that's the form of sort of waiting. The idea of waiting, waiting on somebody, uh, waiting on God to do something, waiting on your kids, waiting on your spouse. So it's, it's literally just a sitting and waiting idea. And Advent is a wonderful time to begin to practice, to begin working on that second form of patience, that, that waiting. In fact, the entire Old Testament is a period of waiting. 
Last week, we lit our first Advent candle. And if you remember, this whole season, what we're talking about is that Christmas isn't canceled. And we went back to the start of the story last week, and we looked that Christmas doesn't begin in a manger in Bethlehem. There we go. But Christmas actually begins right at the beginning of the world when God created the world and he put everything in place and then sin entered the picture. And it was right at that moment, the very first promise of God came. He said, yeah, you're going to be kicked out of the garden, but the woman is going to have enmity between the serpent and the woman. And eventually that woman's heel is going to strike that serpent's head. And that is a prophecy. That is a looking forward to the coming of Messiah. So Christmas begins way back at the beginning. And then the whole Old Testament is this period of waiting. The Jews were waiting and waiting for the Emmanuel, for Messiah to come. And so this morning, we're going to light our second Advent candle. If I don't burn myself. And the second candle is going to represent patient waiting. Patient waiting in our Advent season. Now you may be thinking to yourself... Why do we need to learn patience? How many of you are excited to learn patience? How many of you know that's something you never want to pray for? You never want to pray for patience. Because when you do, God's going to put all sorts of frustrating things in your way. And then he's going to laugh. Like, he's like, you asked. I'm teaching you. Okay. Why should we ever learn patience? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about uh, this idea of learning to wait. In this era of COVID, we're all having to learn patience, both forms actually of patience. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're learning patience, waiting for this virus to pass, waiting for things to get back to normal. But we're also having to learn patience with other people, people who may not think like you, uh, people who uh, frustrate you because they're frustrated with everything being out of control. We're having patience with the government or whoever it may be. We're having in this era right now to learn patience. And I think we need to learn this anyway. And during Advent, it's a great time to talk about this. And so we're learning to patiently wait. I got in a conversation this week with Lucas. I got in a conversation this week with Lucas. Lucas, 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 Lucas. I don't know what he's doing, but he's busy doing it. All right. I was back in the office. Lucas comes in. Riley's on his heels. You know, oh, Pastor God. They wanted to feed my fish. I said, go for it. <laughs> All my fish died. Can't feed them anymore. Um, but anyway, they come in the office, and Lucas proceeds to tell me, Pastor John, I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait. Santa Claus is going to come. And he's going to bring me some great things under the tree. And I'm like, well, why, why, you know, why? Because I want Santa Claus to come. You know, I just kept pushing it. And we just had this big conversation. He was so excited about Santa Claus coming, about Christmas trees, about the gifts under those trees. Any of you remember those days as a kid when you just couldn't wait? And then he told me how it all happens in his house. Kids will tell everything, parents, just so you know. And so he proceeds to tell me how it all unfolds on Christmas Day. And I told him, I said, I remember that day we would not stay in bed we would wake our parents up and I didn't realize until I was a parent that they just went to bed 
because they're getting everything finished up. And so we would wake my parents up and dad would have to go downstairs to make sure the big man came. And he'd go downstairs and, and turn on all the lights and then we would traipse downstairs slowly behind him and there would be these mountains of brightly wrapped awesomeness. Remember those days? It was so hard to say, it was so hard being patient. You couldn't even stay asleep in bed. You know, it's interesting because scripture is full of people who were patiently, maybe sometimes impatiently, waiting for Messiah to come. The entire Old Testament is a period of waiting for Jesus just to show up. And we have people in the Old Testament, sometimes patiently and sometimes begrudgingly being patient, waiting for God. Noah waited for rain. And then when the rain came, you remember what he did? He then waited around for the rain to stop and then waited around for the water to recede and go away. David, I don't know if you've ever read the story of David, King David, fascinating, but he was waiting for King Saul's reign to end. Basically, he was waiting for King Saul to die. And he refused to take King Saul out because he was the anointed king. David was to be the next king, and yet he patiently was waiting on King, David, or king Saul's reign to end. Elijah waited for God's redemption from Jezebel. He was on the run from Jezebel and wanted Jezebel to be taken out. He was afraid of Jezebel, and he was waiting to the point of depression waiting on this. John the Baptist in the New Testament was waiting for Jesus to come and looking for Jesus to come. Uh, various people in the New Testament, like a Mary and Martha waited for Jesus to show up at Lazarus' tomb. Uh, Jesus himself waited for 30 years before he got into ministry. Because you're the Messiah. You've come to save the world. And yet he was doing something else for 30 years before he got involved in ministry. All of us are a lot over and over in the Bible. There's these ideas of waiting, these people who are waiting. And this season of Advent is a time of waiting and growing in our patience. And there's plenty of stories to read about that. J.D. Wentworth, you guys ever seen their commercials? Because this is the way most of us live, like J.D. Wentworth. It's my money and I want it now. You seen those commercials? Remember those? My money and I want it now. And that's the way a lot of us live. And yet God says, hang on, hold the fort, slow down, take a breath. I want you to wait. Why? Why, God, do we have to learn to wait? James chapter 5 tells us, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm then because the Lord's coming is near. And then over in Acts, this is a fascinating story. Jesus has just finished his ministry. He's died. He's risen from the grave. He's about ready to go back up into heaven. And he gives the disciples a very interesting command. And he gives them, actually, we talk about the great commandment. Anybody remember what the great commandment is? We talk about it a lot here. What is it? Hey, go out and make disciples. But did you know Jesus gave them a command before he gave them that command? Listen to this. In my former book, this is Acts chapter 1, if you want to follow along, by the way. And I'm reading the very first verse. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up from heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This command precedes the other commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but... What's that next word you think? Wait. Wait a minute. I thought he wanted us to go out and save the world. I want us to go out and you know, declare Jesus to everybody. Make disciples. No, the very first commandment he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift of my that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, the baptized, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They were all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with his brothers. I want to share some biblical reasons this morning as to why waiting is good for our souls. Why waiting is good for us. And here Jesus must have understood something. Before they were to go out and take the world, they were to wait and be patient, be quiet before God. So let me give you a few ideas here. Sorry, I had all the PowerPoint all ready to go. It wouldn't load up this morning. We've had all sorts of technology problems this morning. Waiting on the Lord requires patient trust. We live by the adage, don't just stand there, do something. Any of you uh, in a work environment and it just drives you nuts when somebody's just standing there and you just want to yell that, don't just stand there, do something, you know, get busy, pick up a shovel, do something. We live by this adage, don't stand there, do something. But God oftentimes tells us, don't do anything, but just stand there. It's usually what God tells us first. Before you launch out, before you go attack that mountain, before you go to take that hill, just stand there. Because God wants us to grow in our trust. He wants us to know that he is big enough to care for us without our help. He can do it. I've gotten to be friends with Sean and Stephanie Miller down at the coffee shop. Hey, by the way, hi, Sean and Stephanie, if you're watching online today. And Sean and I have gotten in this conversation a, a few times. We are both guys, duh, and we're both guys who like to fix things. And when a problem comes, we're going to tackle it. We're going to fix it. We're going to solve it, you know. I feel sort of like that cartoon character, you know, here I am to save the day, and, and I'm a fixer. And so when I see a problem, I'm going to fix it. And Sean and I have gotten in this conversation. Oftentimes, we go in and we start fixing it. And then when we get really frustrated because we can't fix it, then finally it's at that point where we're like, oh, God, maybe I should ask you to help. Anybody else ever do that? 
You get yourself into that, and you're in the midst of the mess, and you're thinking, this isn't going to get solved, and then that's when you turn to God. Well, sometimes maybe we need to reverse that, and we need to learn to wait on God before we go about fixing it, whatever it may be. Waiting is God's way of seeing if we're going to trust him before we move forward, before we launch, before we go do whatever it is we're going to do. Waiting on God reminds us that he is in control. Sometimes people ask, but what do you do while you're waiting? And you just stand there, twiddling your fingers. Well, during those waiting times, we need to take the active role of a watchman. And we're going to look at this a little bit more next week, but I want to just give you this idea. And this comes out of Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, declares the psalmist. I wait for Yahweh. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. In biblical times, a watchman vigilantly watched the city walls to make sure nobody at night was going to do a secret sneak attack. And so they would have one or two watchmen, depending on the size of the city, who would literally just walk the top of the walls, and they would just keep an eye out on all the land around the city. And they would wait patiently for the sun to rise. Their job would start when the gates closed and wouldn't end until the sun came up. And then everybody could see everything out there. And they just would wait. They would wait and wait and wait and watch and watch and watch. They were the night watchmen. And then if something happened, if they saw a campfire where there shouldn't be a campfire, or they saw movement in the trees where there shouldn't be movement, they would spring to action, and they wouldn't defend the city. They wouldn't start shooting arrows. They would alert everybody. They would tell everybody, something out there isn't right. We need to get ready. So this watchman knew the difference between his job, which was to watch and to wait for the sun to come up and to scream if something wasn't right, from getting out there and trying to defend the city all on his own. He understood that his job was literally to wait and to watch. Waiting reminds me that I'm not in charge. I'm only the watchman doing my job. I'm the patient. I'm in the waiting room, in the real life, the real issues of life. And I'm not just waiting around. I'm waiting on God. Isn't this fascinating? In our hurry-up culture, in our hurry-up culture, there is still rooms dedicated to do nothing but wait. How many of you have been to a doctor's office lately? Or an optometrist, or a chiropractor, or any kind of medical field, and they have whole rooms just dedicated for people to sit around reading highlights magazines and waiting. I was shocked. In our hurry-up culture, um, a lot of you know, last couple months I got inundated with poison ivy. Yay, I've been poison ivy-free for a month. woo And uh, a couple of my doctor visits, I did virtual doctor appointments. I don't know if you found, oh, this is cool to do virtual appointments. And they literally like show me the patch. Here, 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 here. You know, it's just, okay, I got it. You know, um, but I was fascinated, or I thought this was fascinating. I sign up for this virtual appointment, and I put all my information in, put my insurance information in. I choose my doctor and whatnot. And on technology, which is supposed to be so fast, guess what I had to do? Wait. I actually went into a virtual waiting room. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's a virtual, Michelle, I'm in a virtual waiting room. And I'm sitting there waiting on the doctor. 
In this culture, of hurry up, we still have to learn to wait. And waiting reminds me, I'm not in charge of that doctor's schedule. And you know what? God wants us to wait to build our trust, but he also wants to reveal to us that you're not in charge. And I think a lot of us would like to fix things more quickly than God is fixing things. Waiting reminds me that I'm not God. And as a man, I want to fix things. I want to fix problems, relationships, conflicts, my career. I want to fix the church. Fixing and controlling situations and people like trying to ex- is like trying to expedite the sun to come up faster for the watchman that's watching the city walls. How many of you have a child you would love to fix? Am I the only one? Or a husband or what? No, 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 don't go there. <laughs> All right. And yet, no matter how hard we try to fix things, it doesn't happen. And this waiting, this patiently waiting for God to move, reminds us that God is the one in charge, and God is the one that we're waiting on, and He's the one that can fix things. Waiting on the Lord allows God space to do His work. And I must confess, I don't like necessarily waiting on God to do his work. I want to speed up the process a little bit. I got in a conversation with Julie Bowers this last week. We were out, you know, milling around trying to get the arches. Julie, you like the arches? They're up. All right. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Jan Wagner. They're up. And we were milling around getting stuff and whatnot. And we got in this conversation that that we'd both like to see the church get to two, three hundred people. It'd just be fun. It might be half virtual, you know, the way we're going. Um, But it'd sort of be fun, you know, to be in in, in a church that's that that size. It's still family oriented, still, you know, everybody, you see people's faces. And yet we're big enough to do some, you know, bigger things, you know, to double this kind of thing and to have a little bit more resources. And also, I drive around town and I see people and I'm thinking to myself as I see some of these people, that person does not look like they're going to heaven. For weeks, I passed a guy downtown Valley City. I drive to church in the morning and every day he was down to, uh, um, well, it changed hands now, but where you get the ice cream and whatnot. He would be down there every day walking back with his dog and a case of beer. Every day I saw him every morning. And I'm thinking, man, is that, apparently you're going through a case of beer a day. And I see people and my heart sort of bleeds a little bit. It's like, God, there's people missing heaven. We need to be doing more. We need to be out there more. We need to be accomplishing more, something. And yet, you know, God says, nope, not yet. I want you to wait. But God, the church needs to expand. The church needs to do more. Yeah, I know that. And I think God knows that. And yet God says, nope, I want you to wait. And then we hit COVID. Things are finally coming back. You guys all remember Father's Day last year? And it's been a wild year. We finally reopened the church and a whole bunch of people were coming back. And Father's Day was our opening back up day. And, and we had like 50, 60 people here that Sunday. I was like, whoa, you guys are all braving it. And it was, the church was packed. And then it was like two weeks later, everything shut down. And then we were back to 10, 15 people in church. Why, God? The father of the modern missionary movement is William Carey. And he became a missionary to India, and he went to India and waited seven years before he saw one person come to know Jesus Christ. Wow. 
I think we all like to speed things up and we want to hurry God up in his timetable and in his processes. And yet God says, don't just go and do something. Stand there. Wait. Patiently wait on me. And waiting, when we begin to wait on God, it gives him the space to do something. You know something I've learned over the years? I'm going off script a little bit here, but something I've learned about ministry... I can force people because of my position and my power, and I have a little bit of persuasive power within me. I can, I can persuade somebody into something, and it'll last for a couple weeks, and then it'll disappear. Or I can step back and say, God, I know this is better for him, and I know this is what needs to happen, but if I push him, it ain't gonna happen, and then just start praying, and then when God moves in them, it takes effect for a lifetime. Anybody else experience that? I'll tell you that about your kids. You can force your kids into things and it'll last for a little while, but that little while will shortly end. But if we wait for God to move in their hearts and when he moves in them and he changes them, the change will be forever life-changing and, and life-lasting. Waiting on the Lord gives him space to do his work. God's timing is always best. In the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, the prophet was asking similar questions. Why wait? Why can't we see you move faster? And he uses that watchtower motif as well. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, I will stand at my guard post, my station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me, write this vision down. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointment of time. It testifies about the end and I will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and it will be on time. It will not be late. Fascinating truth. God is never early. God's never late. God is always right on time. Not our time, but he is right on time, right on his time. And it's in those waiting times. So God's timing is perfect. And when the, we're in those waiting times, we have to understand God is still working. We may be thinking nothing's happening, but God's doing something. We know that deep down inside that he's working, but we need to come back and remind ourselves of that. Even though I may be sitting here spinning my wheels, God is still at work. He's still making things come about to his will and coming about in his way. And then finally, waiting on the Lord increases my strength. Sometimes I struggle to remember that it's good to wait on the Lord. It isn't an easy process. It goes against the grain of our, our quick fix society. But there's a hidden benefit in waiting. In times of waiting, my soul is revived and my spirit is renewed. Isaiah said, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The time will come when those who wait on God will soar. If you're in a moment of waiting right now, I want to give you a piece of encouragement. Get ready to hang on. Because when the wind comes, when the wind blows, and the gust lifts up that eagle, you better hang on for dear life because it's going to be quite the ride. But it doesn't come before the waiting. Whether we like it or not, 
God gives us ample opportunity to learn to be patient. There was a woman whose car was stuck in traffic, broke down, so she popped the hood, and she's out looking underneath the hood, and it was full traffic, all lanes, and the guy behind her was just honking on the horn. Finally, she had had enough, so she left the front of her car because she couldn't figure out what was going on, and she left the front of her car, walked back to this guy's car. He rolls down his window a little bit, and she says, sir, I'm not sure what's wrong with my car, but if you wouldn't mind going up and looking, I will sit here and honk your horn for you. And I think this sums it up pretty good. Some of you might remember Peter wrote this little phrase. He said that with the Lord, or that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. A day is like a thousand years with God. Well, an economist wrote or uh, read those words, and he thought, this is fascinating. A day is like a thousand, a thousand, or a thousand days like a day. And so he, he went to God in prayer. And he sat down with God, and he started having this conversation with God. Is it true that a thousand years for you is just like one day? And God answered him back. God said, yeah. One day is like a thousand, a thousand like a day. You know, the economist was like, wow. So if that's true, God, then is a penny like a million dollars to you or a million dollars like a penny? And God said, yeah, that's also true. Economist was thinking hard. He goes, God, could you give me a penny? And God responded and said, yeah, just wait a day. You groan, but y'all use it. <laughs> Patiently waiting. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that kind of excitement over December 25th? The night we celebrate not the coming of Santa, but the coming of Emmanuel. And wouldn't it be awesome to have that childlike eagerness and patience? Can't hang on, can't wait for Santa to come. What if we had that same kind of anticipation, that same kind of patiently waiting, each day building with excitement and more excitement, more excitement, because the day of Jesus' birth is about to come. And that's part of Advent. That's why we light this candle. Patiently waiting. Folks, with everything else that's being canceled, Christmas has not been canceled. And even though newspapers and society doesn't want to mention Bethlehem, a baby in a manger, they don't want to talk about Christian faith and why we even have Christ's mass once a year, even though they won't mention it, Christmas hasn't been canceled. That Messiah came. That Emmanuel has been here. And that Emmanuel has opened the door to save not just the Jews, but that Emmanuel has come to save you and me. And the day we celebrate the opening of that window in time is coming. Not here yet. It's coming on December 25th. Father, help us to learn to patiently wait. I pray, I know some of us just looking around our group here, knowing who's online as well, are waiting for our children to make a turn back towards you. And we'd like to speed up the process. Some of us are waiting because we got told our job's been uh, canceled for the time being. 
And we're waiting for the job to come back. Maybe some of us have been told to go home, work from there, and can't accomplish the things we could accomplish if we go into the office. Father, we as a church are waiting. We're waiting for COVID to just be done so we can go back to sort of some normal, some new, but go back to full bore the mission of the church without worrying about masks and how to uh, accomplish it safely. Father, we are in a major time of waiting right now on so many things. And I pray that in the midst of that waiting, our patience will grow. And ultimately, what we'll wait for is your return. The day in which you come back or the day in which we die and we get to be with you forever. Help us to live that style of life in which every day is an eager day of expectation of the full fulfillment of all that you want to do in this world. Father, help us in the midst of the patience. I don't pray for that for us because we'll have all sorts of trials and troubles this week, so God, I'm careful about that. But Father, in the midst of the trials and troubles that we already got, teach us, help us to learn how to be patient. In all things, God, we give you glory and praise. And I pray this week will be a wonderful week for our church and for the church universal. I pray for our community as we come together on Saturday in the midst of all this weirdness of society and everything else has been canceled. And I pray that these grounds from the front of the property to the back, that this place on Saturday will be holy ground and that people will drive in who may not have much of an inkling for church but we'll hear some Christmas carols, we'll hear some music, hear some jingle bells, and something will happen in their hearts that their minds and their hearts will be turned towards you. So I pray for your anointing right now to begin settling down on these uh, five to 10 acres or so, on this property, in this place, and that this will be holy ground all the way through the Advent season. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son. And Jesus, thank you for being willing to come as an infant, born in a manger to poor people. You can identify with us all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.